All right, we're going to go to Luke 12 today, and we're going to look at a parable that we've talked about a few times, a parable called The Rich Fool in Luke chapter 12, as we continue going through the book of Luke and just looking at the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say? And we're not doing every word that he said here, but we're picking out some of the the highlights, some of the big chunks, uh, the stories that Jesus challenges us with and the, the, the teaching that he gives us that is supposed to be transformational for us. And I hope that it has been transformational for you as we've been going through this this year. And so as we go to Luke 12, here's what's in my head. I know church is a place where we're supposed to be like big picture. We're not supposed to get all caught up in the little stuff and all that stuff. We're supposed to be big picture. But just for a minute, could we look at the little picture? Because I want to share something with you that really bothers me, irritates me. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You probably have because I can't seem to get around this. You go to a grocery store and you pick a cart. And you pick the wrong cart. Anybody else have this? So, you know, and you don't recognize it right away because there's people, other people trying to get the cart and you're just trying to get it out of the way. But like into the second aisle, you realize that you just want to cut off, you know, like your arm. I, I can't take this. This is horrible because every time I push the cart, it's like, you know, off to the side. Here it goes into the thing. I don't know what's so challenging about carts. I don't know. I don't understand what's so complicated that they can't just roll straight. But for some reason, Something got twisted or bent or somebody rammed it into somebody else. They were mad at them or I don't, whatever. Some reason, the cart just pulls to one side. And the reason I I share that irritation with you this morning is because it reminds me of what we're going to talk about today in that I think people, I think every single one of us is like one of those carts. Here's what I mean. All of us have a bent in us. All of us are a little bit twisted. And it means that we tend to drift off track in our lives. We just tend to do it. Those carts, I would like to be able to just like, you know, let it go and know that it's not going to ram into the, you know, pasta aisle or whatever, but I have to hold on to it. I can't just go with one hand. I've got to hold on to it. I've got to intentionally steer it so it stays straight. And it isn't difficult for me to know when it's off off course. It's not hard for me to figure out this thing's going the wrong way. It's very easy to see as I walk down the aisle. I have to put both hands on the wheel. Well, there's no wheel, but you know, the, the little bar. And I have to steer it intentionally. And if I don't, it's going to go off course. It's not going to heal itself and start just running straight. It's always going to just tend to go off course. And as human beings, we get off track all the time. We drift in our lives. We drift away from healthy. We drift away from good. We drift. And it's not because, you know, uh, you are the worst person in the world or you should know better. It's just one of the battles that's part of our existence as human beings. We drift. And so you can choose to ignore it or you can choose to steer intentionally. And so as I'm thinking about the stuff we're going to talk about today, I want to talk a little bit about something before I get to to Luke 12, because it's kind of like in a bigger way. Sometimes I get really disheartened about the tone of Christianity in, in our world, in our circles, because I start to feel overwhelmed by all the stuff I'm supposed to be passionate about, outraged about, aware of, and, you know, looking under every rug and behind every corner and every dark closet to know who's doing what and what their real motivations are. And do you ever get overwhelmed with all that stuff? It's like, how much stuff am I supposed to keep keeping track of? 
I can barely keep track of my budget, like let alone all this other stuff. Everybody else's business all over the place. And so I feel like we overcomplicate what it means to be a Christian to the place where it's not helpful. Because being a Christian is not about the latest controversy that's come up before our lawmakers or come up in my community or the latest criticism of another person or another ministry. Our biggest challenge, our biggest problem is not keeping track of all that stuff. The real problem for us as Christians is that we drift from simple, basic stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, and I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm just saying it's overwhelming and sometimes confusing to be on guard about all these things in our world all the time. But Jesus talks about faith. Like when you come to the kingdom of God, you have to have faith like a child. Child's pretty simplistic, aren't they? They just, like, that's what it is. They're very matter of fact. If dad said it, it's true. And if we're going here, that's what we're doing. You know, I heard a a thing on the radio today where it was like, you know, we're going to go to, we're not going to go to school. We're going to go to Disney World or whatever, right? You know, kid's not like, wait a minute, this wasn't the plan. (laughs) The kid's like, all right, that's what dad said. That's what we're doing, right? They're just, they're along for the ride. It's simple. And how did we get into Christianity being so overwhelmingly hard? Jesus talked about my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. Isn't that simple? You see a picture of a shepherd going out amongst the sheep and the sheep are like, oh good, shepherd's here. I guess we're going out. And the shepherd goes out the door and the sheep all follow. They're not like, now Jesus, could you tell me what the schedule is for today? You know, how long are we going to be in field one and how long are we going to take it there? Because I want to know if I should wear my bracelet or... Like they're not... They're just going, whatever. Okay, there's a shepherd. Here we go. It's simple. It's so simple. And I think we make it overly complicated. And it's, again, it's not that there aren't things we should be aware of, but I'm saying, let's not lose the point. I know the Old Testament is filled with rules and laws, but the point of those rules and laws was to be overwhelming so that hope would not wind up being placed in keeping track of all the laws. As a matter of fact, one of the themes you see in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms, is a cry for mercy. When I really embraced the law and how overwhelming it was, I think there's like a hundred and something times in the book of Psalms, it's Lord have mercy. Why? Because I can't do all that. It was pretty simple. You knew where your hope was, right? And so if you're wondering... How to be a good Christian, it's, not, it's like that cart in the aisle. It's not that hard to know when you're off, off track. Pride is bad. If you can't do it without thinking you're better than everybody else, let it go. Right? Um, self-centeredness is not the way to live. It's the opposite of love. If it's all about me, then it's not right. This is not tough. This is not hard to figure out. I know when I'm off track. Right? And so there are things that are evidently bad. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't kill. I shouldn't steal. How hard is this? I know our world wants to make it all confusing and nuanced, but it's pretty simple, right? As a believer, I know the difference between right and wrong. And probably the little fine point stuff, not as hard to figure out as I make them. Most of the time, if I'm on the wrong track, it's because I've tried to talk myself into being okay with being on the wrong track. Do you know what I'm saying? You ever had the conversation? Well, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with it. I guess it must be okay. Like, it's pretty self-evident this isn't okay because I'm having this conversation all the time about, well, I guess it's fine. I don't know. Everybody else, it's not as bad, is it? So I already know 
in my soul. I think there's something already in my soul that knows the difference between good and bad. And especially as a believer, when I've been made alive in Jesus Christ, there's something inside of you that already resonates with what's right and wrong. I think we just got to pay attention, steer intentionally, you know? And it's not hard to figure out what good things are either, right? I mean, good's not like this big, hard thing. Be kind, forgive people, help people. Like, this isn't tough. Pretty straightforward. So let's try to simplify it down to recognizing where we can really make a difference in our life and in our testimony in the way that we're going to live. Because it's down to the basics. Are you going to drift? Are you going to let your life drift? Or are you going to stay on track? And so what Jesus talks about here is one of the most common places of drift. And that's why it's such a big deal. Maybe this isn't your place of drift. But I would say almost universally, humans are susceptible to this drift. So it's probably all of us. But even if it's not you, there's somewhere else in your life you're drifting and Jesus is going to talk about, like, recognize how we get there, okay? So you can apply it. As a matter of fact, in, uh, in 1 John, John talks about three things that we need to avoid, three things, and they're pretty basic things. These things you should not love. Love not the world or the things that are in the world, right? Then he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, Do you know what he's talking about when he says the lust of the flesh? What your flesh wants, what it would enjoy. It likes experiences. It likes pleasure. It likes leisure. It likes what it wants. It likes getting what it wants now. You know what the, so if I say the lust of the flesh and you look out into the world, can you tell the opportunities there are for you to indulge the lust of the flesh? Not hard, right? I know what that is. The lust of the eyes. I want what I see. I look around, advertising is based on this premise. If I see it, suddenly I want it. Oh, I don't have that. Oh, I miss, maybe you would have never thought of it. Some of these inventions they have out there, you would have never thought about it, but because you saw it, you're like, ooh, that, I, I want that. You know, latest car or the latest, like I want that because I saw it. And then the pride of life. How many of you struggle with pride? Well, I'm too proud to raise my hand, but yeah. <laughs> It's universal. Lust, desire for things that are wrong, whether it's of my flesh or of my eyes, or the pride of life. I am proud. I feel like I'm better than you. I get to make a call on you. I get to tell you what you should be doing. I get to tell you where you're wrong, how you should have answered. The problem here isn't me. Of course it's not me, because I'm better than you. The problem is you. Pretty simple. So Jesus is going to talk here about this idea of drifting in this area. And what he's going to teach about is greed. Greed. Pretty timely topic for us and one of our natural places of drift. If you're not intentional on this topic, you are going to drift here. That's pretty much a summary of what Jesus says. So let's say this. Wealth and money are not evil and they are not forbidden. God does not say you are not allowed to have money. As a matter of fact, if he did, we'd probably all be sin right, in sin right now because we are among the most wealthy people in this world. I think it's something like the top 6%. If you, have, if you make more than like $33,000 a year or something like that, if you, if you have more than that income, you're like in the top 6% of the world. I know you're not in the top 6% of your neighborhood, but you're in the world, right? <laughs> There's billions of people in this world who live not knowing if they're going to eat this week, let alone lunch, okay? So we get, we get a little twisted in it, but if it was wrong to have money, we'd all be sinful. But it's not wrong to have money. 
right? But money has a pull on every single one of us. It is natural for money and wealth to pull at our humanity, so much so that we actually sometimes use God to rationalize our desire for money. In this time, and probably so in our time as well, if you watch televangelists, people would think that if I had money, it meant that I was doing something right and God was blessing me. Because you know how all of God's blessings are material, right? He didn't say anything about this world passing away. He talked about how you should, all of his blessings are financial, right? But that's what you hear, right? But the idea was that if I'm doing the right thing, God's going to make my harvest big and going to fill up my, my wallet. And God's going to, and that means that I must have done something right. But we read how the love of money is the root of all evil. And so having it and recognizing that there's a pull toward it, I've got to decide whether or not I have been watchful about it or not. And so Jesus finds himself talking about this in Luke 12. So pick up with me at verse 13 to 15. And, and as, as we kind of jump into this, here's what I want to tell you. There's a, a dispute that comes up before Jesus. But Jesus has been talking, and if you get a chance later on, read the stuff Jesus has been talking about before this. Because this is so out of sync with what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about one day you're going to be pulled into, you know, before magistrates and governors and give an answer for your life and they're going to take away everything that you have and, and you're going to be, your very life is going to be on the line. Don't worry about it because in that day, the Spirit will give you the things you'd say. And on the heels of that discussion, kind of in the middle of that discussion, somebody pipes up with this, which is so out of sync with what Jesus is talking about. Here's what it says, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See how out of sync that is? Jesus is talking about people being ready to lay down their life and to, to choose you know, martyrdom over uh, lying or, or, or bearing false witness or, or saying something that isn't true, standing up for Jesus and being willing to lose everything to stand up for Jesus. And then somebody's like, yeah, that's a good point. Now, Jesus, I've got a money problem. Fix it for me. Right? Is that so... Where is that coming from? How does that get there? It's so out of sync with everything else Jesus is teaching. And so basically, you have somebody who came to Jesus to find out if Jesus could help him get the money that he wanted. Most likely, in this family, this is a younger brother, maybe the second child, maybe there's only two brothers here. Uh, He did not have the legal power to deal with the money because the older brother had that. So without that power, without that ability, he's looking for leverage. He's looking for some way to get what he wants. And most likely, he comes to Jesus feeling like he has the right to that money. He doesn't feel like he's asking Jesus to do something wrong. He asks Jesus just to do what's fair. He feels like he's on the short end of the stick and he needs some help just getting things fair, just leveling it out, just balancing the scales a little bit. I wonder how evil you feel like this is, how worthy of warning you feel like this is, how often people, including me, go to Jesus so that he will help me get what I think I deserve, what I think is fair, 
what I think makes sense. And I go to Jesus so that not uh, Jesus will tell me something, but so that I can tell him something. And so this man comes to Jesus and says, divide, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And And he doesn't give Jesus any details. He just says, Jesus, just agree with me. Right? Don't you love it when people come to you and you're like, don't you think, blah, blah, blah. Like, I feel like this is a setup. <laughs> Should I say yes? Should I say no? Don't you think? Like, this is what he's saying. Jesus, just tell my brother to give me the money that I'm owed. Just tell him. I don't care about your judgment. I don't care about your input. I just want your authority. And I just want it to do what I want it to do. And it's pretty clear this person has no interest in the spiritual focus Jesus has been teaching on because as Jesus talks about all these spiritual things, all of a sudden here he is with this matter of finances. And so Jesus says to him, who made me a judge or a rabbi over you? Like in other words, and the word man there is kind of like we would say, like man, like what's wrong with you? Like man, I that kind of like expression of of confrontation almost. And what he says to him is, why would you act like I am a judge or an arbiter between you? He calls uh, Jesus a rabbi, but he, in, this, in this speaking, in this way, it's kind of the idea of Jesus saying, do you really want to follow me? Or do you just want to use me? Now, again, this is just about inheritance that he thinks he's owed. So he doesn't think he's being greedy But when he comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, do what I want you to do. Fix it the way I want you to fix it. Come and and help me get what I want to get out of this. I'm not asking for what you think is right. I'm asking for you to do what I think is right. Do you see how greed, that, that, that affection for money, starts to make us drift away from following Jesus into following money. And that's what had happened here. And so Jesus says, you, you clearly are not that interested in following me. You just want to use me. You just want to use my power to get what you want. So then Jesus turns to them. He doesn't answer the man's question at all. He turns to them and says, watch out. And he gives this warning. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, when he says all kinds of greed, that tells us that there are more than one kind of greed. So if I said, don't be greedy to you today, you would think that means don't want more money, right? And this guy clearly wanted more money, but he probably wouldn't have thought of himself as greedy because the money that he wanted was money he thought was coming to him. It should have been his anyway. It really belonged to him. He was just asking Jesus to do what was fair, right? So all of a sudden, instead of seeing it as I have a, an affection, affinity, a, a pull towards money, what he sees it as is just fairness and goodness. And so Jesus says, watch out. Some forms of greed are obvious. Others are more hidden. This man didn't think of himself as greedy. And so there's that drift. When we think we are right in our desire or our demand for money, we don't give a second thought to the hold we're letting money have on us. You with me? If I think it's my right to have it or to demand it, then I don't think I'm being greedy. And I don't evaluate how much money is having an influence on me. Wealth, possessions. It's part of the the drift of our humanity. 
And so Jesus says, watch out, be on guard. What he says is keep your eyes open and avoid greed at all costs. That sounds like it's something dangerous, doesn't it? Let me ask you, just honestly, how dangerous do you actually think greed is? How wary are you of the way that money, wealth, humanity takes that and and it kind of puts its roots down inside of you and wraps around your soul and twists and bends you? How wary are you of, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. Yeah, thanks, Jesus. You're just a little bit overprotective. I don't know. Is Jesus right that it's something seriously dangerous? Have we lived like it's seriously dangerous? dangerous. Do you know your humanity well enough to know how dangerous it is? Jesus says, if you're not on your guard, you're going to get blindsided by this in one form or another, because greed is always lurking out there. And unless you're steering, you're going to drift. So how do you steer away from greed? How do you stop the drift in your soul towards wanting money? Probably lots of ways. But many of them call for you to let go of what you could hold on to. If you want to stop the drift towards greed, you've got to intentionally choose to let go of what your soul and greed would tell you to hold on to. Where in your life are you doing that on purpose? Because Jesus says this, and I don't know anybody here would disagree. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. How many of you actually disagree with that? Nobody. But how many people live like life is not consisting of the abundance of our possession? Like it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you live. That's how greed causes us to drift. Oh, no, no, I accept the truth that life's not all about what you have. Great. Now live like that. Live like you don't want wealth or possessions to overtake your mindset and your view of life. How do I know if greed has gotten a hold of me? Well, when, when it's hard to pay your bills, do you feel like that's like the worst thing in life? That's like the, the big problem? That's like, why? Because you believe that money defines the well-being of your life. Does money define the well-being of your life? Of course not, except when I need it. When I don't have enough of it or all that I want of it. See how greed finds its way into us. The storm is not a representation that God doesn't care. The storm is a representation of it's your time to choose what you really think matters. When life does not go according to what you want it to be or what you want it to do, do you trust in the Lord or do you trust in you? Greed is one of those places where I feel like I don't have to trust in the Lord anymore if I have enough money. And it might not be money, but money certainly talks to us and tells us it can do things for us that will give us what we want. It gives us security. It gives us power. It makes us feel significant. It gives us influence. It makes us popular. It makes us the ability to control what's coming and and answer things that are happening. Even if it's overflowing, even if what you have monetarily were to be well more than you could possibly handle, Jesus says it still doesn't bring you life. Yeah, but it's nice to have. Yeah, but do you understand, when you have it like that, or when you think about it like that, power, control, influence, when you think about it, it has a hold on you. That's what Jesus is warning against. 
And that's what Jesus is saying you've got to watch out for. Because what it starts to do, when my soul gets twisted up in that, it, start, it starts to mute the impact of spiritual input in my life. And so if life doesn't consist of material possessions, what does it consist of? I would say, take a look at your life and you tell me what you're acting like life consists of. What is the fabric of life? What makes life alive? Look at not what you would say. Look at what you're choosing. And then tell me, is life about worry? About fear? Is life about avoiding what you don't like? Is life about having what you want? About getting your way? About people that don't annoy you? Is that what life is about? What are you acting like life is about? Jesus says it's not about abundance of possession. And then he tells them this story. So here's the little story that Jesus tells them to kind of like he's just said, watch out for greed. Then he tells the story. So verse 16, then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus tells this story about this man, this this farmer who had one year, it says the ground yielded an abundant harvest, meaning the idea of that he did normal farming and all of a sudden he got lots of harvest. The people standing around listening to the story would have seen this as God blessing this man. Because who, you know, made that harvest abundant? God did. God gave rain and God gave, you know, the increase of the harvest. And so they would have come to the conclusion that this guy had a great harvest because he must be doing what God wants him to do. He must be getting rewarded for living right. And so, but then he has a problem. It's a good problem, but he has a problem. This blessing gave him a problem. I don't have enough room to store all that I have. Wouldn't that be a problem? Oh, I don't have enough space in my bank account for all the money that I have. Whatever will I do? That, I mean, that's kind of what we're saying here. I've got so much money. I don't know. What, I can't even hold all of it. I've got to, you know what I'm going to do? He comes up with a solution. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep all of it. I'm going to tear down the barns that I have. I'm going to build bigger barns that can hold all of this wealth. I mean, God gave it to me. So I'm going to, Find a place to put all of it, and I'm just going to hold on to it. Now, and this is where the crowd might like, get a twinge. Because food and eating was a big deal. The wealthy didn't have to worry about it, but the majority of the population, food was a real challenge. And so here's somebody who God is blessed with lots of food. It's not lost on this crowd that there are many around this man who are desperate for food on a daily basis. He could have taken, he doesn't even have to give the grain away. He could have taken the grain to market and sold it. Do you know why he didn't? Because if you take that much grain to market to sell it, it loses its value. You know, you got lots and lots of grain. Now it becomes cheap. So, He's like, yeah, that wouldn't be a wise business decision. That wouldn't benefit me to the maximum. So 
I'm not going to take it to market. I'm going to keep all of this grain for me. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I will enjoy God's blessings to me for the rest of my life. What's wrong with that? And by the way, Jesus said, be on your guard against greed. And then he tells the story. Now, when you said greed in your head, you said greed means, I want more. Does this guy want more? No. You see, all kinds of greed. What Jesus is saying is greed's not always, I don't have as much as I want, I want more. Greed sometimes is, I have plenty. I'm keeping it all for me. I'm going to keep everything that I have and use it for me. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to relax. I'm going to enjoy. Clearly, God wants me to enjoy my life. So I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. By the way, the idea of eat, drink, and be merry does have that like, let's go party thing. You know, again, it's not that difficult to know what it's like to be a a follower of Jesus Christ. Should should a follower of Jesus Christ be going out and hitting the clubs and partying hard through the weekend? I don't know. I don't, of course not, right? Duh. But, oh, it's really ambiguous. No, it's not. You just want it to be ambiguous. You can do what you want. Okay? So here's a guy who gets lots of money, sees that as a blessing from God, but now, because he's not, he doesn't have to worry about God's blessing anymore, what's he do? Well, I mean, if God gets mad at me, so what? I got all this grain. No big deal. I don't need God's blessing anymore. I've already got God's blessing. Now I'm going to go use God's blessing so that I can have some fun. Greed starts to twist us away from genuinely following what God's way and genuinely trusting what he says is the right thing to do. And so when he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, the, the crowd is, is not exactly like shocked. They're kind of like, well, he's, that's really, he, he's got it good. God blessed him. I wish I was him. He's lucky. But then Jesus hits home his point. And look at how he hits it home uh, in verse uh, 20 and 21, he says this, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Tearing down your barns, not going to the market with all the grain would have been seen as good business. But Jesus says, God said, you fool. God himself in heaven says, you have been immensely foolish. Why? Not because you're rich. He's, con- he's condemned for deciding that all he has is for his comfort, for his pleasure. And Jesus says, so be on guard against greed. Be on guard against greed. We wouldn't have noticed that this man was acting greedy because he didn't want more. But Jesus says greed is trust in your possessions. Believing that your life will be defined from here on by what I have. I will eat, drink, and be merry. I will take life easy. Why? Because I have enough money. What did you just eliminate from the equation? God. And so he, he puts his hope in money. He puts his hope in finances. And even when I don't believe that that money can lead me to a full or satisfying life, I can act like it does. And so in this instance, Jesus is implying that he should have thought differently about his wealth. What should he have done with his wealth instead? 
Well, if you don't, if you don't, doesn't jump out to you, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, you fool, you, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who will get those things that you've kept for yourself? What's he saying? I wanted those things to go to others. I gave them to you so other people would get them. And you said no. So guess what? I'll take you out of the way. And others will still get what I wanted to give to others. I don't need you. I was inviting you to it. But if you're not going to do it, I'll still get it to the others. Then who will have those things that you stored up for yourself? So the implication is God blessed this man to help other people. But because of greed, because of that drift, he decided, I'm going to keep it all for myself. And the abundance gets distributed anyway because what he forgot is this. He was actually still dependent on God for his life. He said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And what good is your money going to do about that? You've acted like you are now autonomous. You get to say, you are independent. You can do anything you want. Why? Because I have the money to do it. No, you can't. Because when God says your time is up on this earth, you're not on this earth anymore. So he stopped thinking about his dependence, his need for God. He started putting his trust in the harvest. And we, and we answer to God for what he's given to us. We need God's generosity and God's grace. Where would you be without God's generosity and grace? So since we are desperate for that, sometimes money can tell us we're not. I've seen people before who show up at church when things are hard and they're faithful as can be. So one time there's a man who we've been praying for and praying for. He came to church and he was at church for like a year and then he was gone and has never showed up again. Do you know what was happening during that year? His wife was divorcing him and he didn't want her to divorce him. So we were praying that it would, the marriage would be healed. And then when the divorce went through, gone. What are you doing there? You see? So when, when things in our life are okay, a lot of times we use that as like, I don't have to be mindful of the fact that I answer to God and that I need God and that God holds my life together and that God is my life. I don't have to think about that because I got things going my way in life. It's the way greed gets us. It's the way greed causes us to drift into self-sufficiency, into selfishness, into pride. Well, I'm just better than these other people. I just was smarter than these other people. I've done better things with my money than these other people. One who is aware of their wealth without also being aware of their need, God says, is a fool. Live remembering that God owns everything, and God is the one who hands you your life every single day. How we handle money says a lot about what we think about how dependent we are on God's goodness and about where our real hope lies. And that's where Jesus finishes. He says, listen, greed will turn your eyes from what matters to what doesn't matter. You see how this guy did that? He could have taken what God had blessed him with and turned it into eternal riches by giving it away. It could have been a resonating story of his life for eternity that you took what I blessed you with and you blessed other people with that. And out of that love, that that way that God, God showed his goodness through you, that resonates out into eternity. Instead, it was a mark of him as a fool. 
because he took all that God gave him, he decided to use it for himself, and it meant the end of his life. He's an example of how not to deal with this world because he took his eyes off of what mattered and put his eyes on what didn't matter. So one who is more concerned with things that are passing away than things that remain, God says, is a fool. And so I'm asking you today, as Jesus' words challenge us, how do we embrace our need for God? How do we come humbly and live humbly before the Lord, even with all that God has blessed us with? How do we keep our eyes on eternal things and not start to define our life by temporary things? Clearly in this story, being on guard against greed would have yielded a different decision, a different action. The only logical decision was to get this grain to those who needed it, even at personal cost. And I would say Jesus' invitation to you, if you understand the warning against greed, is to live generously. And not just with your money. We've talked about money because that's kind of the focus of this. But let's talk about this. God has blessed you with a lot of things. A lot of places where you can take what God has given you and use it for others. Whether it's, you know, there are people around here, even in this church, looking for jobs. Do you have a connection that can help? Are you going to use it for others or yourself? There are times where housing needs come up. Do you know of something that can fix that? It's not just money, right? Sometimes it's your willingness to give your attention to someone, to pray for someone, to listen to someone, to walk with someone through the darkness, through the dirt, through the journey. Sometimes it's just that giving of your time, right? It's not all money. Who is your time for? Well, it's for me. It's just for me. I can be greedy about a lot of things, when I see everything that I have as how am I going to use it for myself? The challenge from Jesus is live generously. Live with an eye outward. Live with an eye towards, God, you've given me so much. How can I use this to be the blessing that you want me to be to other people? How can I share what you've given me with others? The question is not whether we agree with that because I think we all do. The question is whether we'll do it. How often are you looking for opportunities to give away earthly things? I hope that it's all the time. And I guess the, the, the simple question is, are you on guard against all kinds of greed? Like Jesus said, what do you have? Maybe God's knocking on the door of your heart right now. What do you have that God gave you so that you would give it away? The other way maybe to talk about this is this, because the rich fool, when your time comes to leave this earth, What will God say about the things that he's given you? I hope that your heart is in tune enough to say, God, I want to give away everything that you've given me to give to others. I want to be faithful as a middleman, as a conduit, as a channel. I want to be attentive to how you bless me so I can bless others. And I want to be a part of what you're doing in this world for your kingdom. Will you live generously or will you live in the drift of greed?